Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor. So grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, where you're chilling at home, go ahead and uh, go ahead and turn to John one. We're going to be in John one and Matthew thirteen this morning, so we'll get we'll get there here in just a few minutes. Um, uh, as Pastor Derek said, you know uh, we've been planning for for our Who's Your One series for a while about who where uh, who was going to preach which sermons, and the staff was going to take a few of them and do them that way. Um, so. Uh, here I am, and uh, I just want to thank him for the opportunity to to allow me this this chance to speak. It's it's always an honor to address address my church family, and anybody else who may be tuning in out there. Um, so I did just uh, and you can say it in the comments just uh, just by show of hands or wave your hand or whatever whatever platform you're listening by. Who's still in their pajamas? Uh, I bet that's about half of you. How many of you got dressed in full church attire to sit in your living room and watch this? I bet there's a few of you that, that as well. I'll find the results afterwards when I when I when I get to when I get to watch this back. But uh, I imagine it's about half and half. That's probably what I'm thinking. So we are continuing in our Who's Your One campaign, um, which is uh, the idea that evangelism and sharing our faith, though it is the number two job of the Christian, the number one job being to honor honor God with everything and to develop our relationship with Him, that our number two job is to share our faith with others and to share the gospel. And that the church, the American church especially, by and large, has, has let that job fall by the wayside. And so Who's Your One is just a campaign of not discouragement, but encouragement to encourage the church to, to start sharing. And we start, we start small. We start with one. And the, the title of today's sermon is actually The Importance of One. And we look at, uh, we, we look at how important one can be. And so, um, and so the phrase we keep using has is, is been, uh, how do you... How do you eat an elephant. And the response to that is one bite at a time. The fact that we as Christians don't share our faith like we should has been the elephant in the room for a very long time. And now it's time to start taking bites out of the elephant. Um, So we do that by focusing on one person at a time. We've asked our congregation, we've asked our church members um, to, to really look at to who God is leading them towards, who God is, is, is placed on their heart to, to be their one, the person they're going to pray for, the person they're going to go after, the person they're going to hope to see come to know Christ. And over and the the, the introduction to this is, is through this month, but this is hopefully going to be the attitude of our entire congregation going forward next. Who are we going to live it out in front of? Who are we going to intentionally pray for? Who are we going to try to have that conversation with where we tell our story of how we found Jesus in an effort to help them find Jesus? And so that's what Hoosier One is. And as Pastor Derek said this morning, it's, it's no coincidence that we're facing a viral pandemic the same month that we started our Hoosier One campaign. I think Satan is trying to use this for a lot of, a lot of things. But one huge thing that we can understand is that the gospel can't be stopped. And the gospel doesn't take a pause just because we're, we're in, in, a, in a very different, very scary situation. Satan will try to use fear in any, in any way he can. And I think partially he knew the power that Graceway and the potential that Graceway has for the gospel, and that's one reason he's going to try to discourage us with this. Um, I believe in the power of our congregation and our people and in their faith, in their connection with, with their Savior, and in the, the sheer potential for the gospel that exists within our church. I could not be more excited 
that we're starting this campaign and that we're, we're taking a look at, at something that a, a job that we've needed to be on for so long. And I'm so honored to get to, to get to share this part of the message with you. As I said, we're going to start out in John chapter one. Um, so go ahead and have your, have your, your Bible open there. We'll jump over to Matthew here in just a little bit. Um, the great commission cannot be canceled. And the mission of the gospel marches on in the darkest of times. The church has always done its best work. Um, when the world is fearful and unstable. Apologize, I'm having technical issues of my own here. There we go. The church does its best work in these times, and I'm encouraged that we're going we're gonna to see some of our best work together. Um, we're prone to think that one is a small and insignificant number. There's a, there, there's a lot of songs about it, one being the loneliest number. It'll get stuck in your head now. Congratulations, you'll have that all day. Um, but who just wants one? Who just wants one cookie? Can anybody eat just one cookie? I can't. When it, especially when it comes to Girl Scout cookies. I don't. I know the serving size on the box is like one or two cookies, but everybody I know eats Girl Scout cookies by the sleeve. I imagine you probably do too. Um, what's the value of only one dollar anymore? It's hard to find anything that you can only buy for a dollar. Even if I make a run to the vending machine at work, the least expensive thing is probably a dollar twenty-five anymore. But the value of one comes up in the Bible. The Bible consistently speaks of one. We're going to talk about a few of them this morning. The pearl, one pearl of great price, one lost sheep, one wayward son. Disciples of Jesus often overlook the value of one. One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one coworker, one friend. And here's the big question. Can you name one person who has come to Christ through your invitation and witness? I want you to take a moment. That's a hard question for a lot of us. Can you name one person that's come to know Jesus because of your invitation or your witness? If you can't, lean into this series. Don't be discouraged. Anyone can start. I don't care if you're 6 or 66 or 96. It's always the right time to start sharing the gospel, even if you haven't before. And that's what we're hoping to do through this Who's Your One series is not only encourage you to, to start sharing your faith, but to give you practical ways to do it as well. We want to equip you to be able to share the gospel because it's a huge job. But if we all do it together and we all take it one step at a time, one person at a time, we can share the news, good news with the whole world. We want to affect our community. We want to affect the, the city around us. We want it to, and not only that, but the gospel doesn't just change the person hearing it. It changes the person sharing it. It can strengthen your faith in a way like you've never seen before. I remember when I was, uh, I think I was just, just coming out of Bible college. I had a friend who, who called me up and said his mom was going through a really rough time. And he invited me over one night to just sit and talk with her. I've known, uh, I, I'd known them and her probably since I was eight years old. Sweet lady. But she was, she was coming out of an abusive relationship. She was not in a good place emotionally or mentally. And he asked me just to come over and talk with her because he knew I'd been going through Bible college and I was called to preach and I wanted to be a pastor. And so I sat down with her, this lady I've known since I was very young, and just it, listened to what she had to say, listened to where life had kind of brought her thus far. She'd gone to church when she was younger but kind of thought of church as something that's for younger people. It's, a, it's something that was for kids but maybe not necessarily for her as an adult. And at the end of it, I just I, I listened to everything she had to say, and I brought it back to that, and I asked her, you know, when you went as a kid, do you, do you have a time and place when you were saved? And she didn't. And so I got the opportunity to share with her what Jesus had done for her on the cross and for what Jesus had done for me 
and for what the gospel meant. And as we sat there, she, she with tears in her eyes, she said, I, I want that. And I got to share the gospel with her, and she got saved as we sat on the back porch just talking. Um, that's not how it always goes. Another situation, probably about around the same time, I got called by a coworker um, who was roommates with another another person that we worked with. Um, that they were in a similar situation, just in a in a very vulnerable, emotional, and 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 mental state. And they asked me to come over and sit down and talk with her. And I got there, and um, there there had been some talk um, of some self harm. There some uh, she was at a very low point, and I got to sit with her and talk. And as we were talking, I, I listened to her story, and it, it, it was just a story of brokenness like a lot of us have. And as she shared what, what she had going on, she, she talked about how she'd never felt like she'd really felt real love. And I, I found my opportunity there to express to her what real love is, what real love can be, where real love comes from. And as I, as I began to share with her the good news of the gospel and where it came from, she scoffed. She, she scoffed that I would bring up the Bible, that I would bring up Jesus when she, in this moment and talk to her about it. Um, she kind of looked at me like I was crazy, and she didn't want to hear anything about it. And that's okay. That's okay because that's not always our job. The, the, the conversion to Christianity in that moment is not always going to happen. That's for God to cause. Ours, our call and our job is to tell somebody about it. Those are two situations I've been in, uh, very similar, but turned out different ways. We know that the, the average person hears the gospel at least seven times before they come to faith in Christ. I hope for that second girl that if it does take seven times, maybe I was number two, maybe I was number three, maybe I was number five. But whatever number it takes for her to hear it, my words aren't wasted because I might just be one in the chain. And then I think of this, the, the most recent example I can give you. And I, I talk a lot about the, these. These are just my experiences. And, and it's not because I'm a preacher. It's not because I'm a pastor. I was called to, to, to speak to these people because, because I'm a Christian, because I'm a child of God. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity to stand in front of crowds and stand in front of groups of people and share the gospel. But these one-on-one -on -one intimate moments are, 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 are the mandate of every Christian to share their faith. I think of the scariest one, though, was my friend Tyler. Um, and I asked his permission if I could share a story this morning, and he, he, he said, yeah, brother, go ahead. I, that's my best impersonation of Tyler. But he, uh, uh, he'd been coming to our church for a while, um, him, and his, him and his sweet wife, who, um, well, I'll tell you the end of the story in a minute. Some, most of you probably know it. They've been coming to our church for a while, um, and I like to joke with them. They started in the back row, sitting under the balcony, and they worked their way forward slowly as we got to know them. But uh, they started coming to our Bible study on Sunday nights, and we got to know them really well. We were good friends. Um, and it just came to my attention that, that God kept placing Tyler on my heart. As we talked and as we interacted, it seemed like he'd always been in church, but something just impressed upon my heart to ask him if he was saved. And I'm ashamed to admit that I let fear keep me from sharing with him right away when God placed him on my heart. Um, I was scared that this person who I'd become close with, that I was friends with, that if I, if I tried to push this a little bit further, that I was going to scare him off and we'd never see him and his wife again. They'd stop coming. That was, where, that was how I let Satan influence my witness in that situation. And I was scared to talk to him. But one night after Bible study, I, I got past it. And it was, it was probably a month or two after God had really started placing him on my heart. I just I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I asked Tyler to sit down with me for a second off to the side. And I just asked him, you know, I know you've been in church your whole life, but I, I've never heard you share about a time when you, when you accepted Christ. 
And as we talked and as we, as we, we went back and forth about it, he, he said he never had. Um, it had been presented to him a lot of times. He just never made that decision. And so I went out on a limb and I asked him if he'd like to make that decision. And he did. And we prayed and he accepted Christ right there um, as we sat and talked. Um, and oh, oh, how his wife was overjoyed when she found out that her husband had come to know Jesus because she was a believer who had come to know him years before. Uh, and she'd been praying for him for a long time. Um, and so he accepted Christ. He got baptized. Um, oh, what a baptism that one was. That was a good one. And then uh, I invited them to, uh, a, a little while later, I invited them to join our youth staff. And they couldn't be better. And Tyler, the first thing he asked me when I asked him to join, he said, I'm not going to have to teach, right? And I said, no, you won't have to teach. And that was a little bit of a fib because he teaches our students with how he interacts with them, how he treats his wife, how he, how he is making friendships in the church, how he's making strides in his faith. He teaches them with everything he does, and I couldn't be happier to have him as part of our staff. And that's one of many, many success stories in our church that have come from somebody just stepping out and sharing their faith with somebody. But here was something that was important to me, and I think this is, this is big for us to hear. Talking to Tyler afterward, and this was probably a few months afterward, talking about his conversion and when he accepted Christ, we talked about why it had taken him so long. And he said when he was younger, he grew up in church and he'd heard it a lot, and the, the thing was, and, and make sure you catch this, was that to him, it had always kind of been presented as one side of an argument. And he's just not much for arguing, and so that's why he had a hard time with the gospel. And for us, that teaches us the lesson that there is somebody out there that has heard the gospel one way their whole life, but God has uniquely gifted you and me to share it our way. And there's somebody out there that needs to hear it the way that you and I are going to share it. Not a different message. The message is always the same. The message of Christ and him crucified and how his blood can cover sin and how we can come to know him and he's offered this great gift for us. But there's somebody out there that it's been presented to them in a way that it's just not getting through. And that's why God is calling you and me to share our faith. Because no two people are going to share it the same. No, people, no two people came to Christ exactly the same way. And we all have different perspectives. It's why the Bible says that we are all members of one body and have different jobs within that body. We are also all going to pre present the gospel in a different way. And there are people out there that need to hear it the way that you're going to present it, the way that you're going to share it. The story you have to tell is important because there's somebody out there that that's the story they need to hear before it finally clicks and God can begin working in their heart. So that's, that's just an encouragement I want to give you that, that the way you're going to share the gospel is important. It's vastly important in the kingdom of God. And I want us to, I want us to, to step out and be ready to tell our story. Um, the gospel makes this all possible. It is, according to Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation. Paul in the same passage says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He means I'm not, I'm not going to put it aside. I'm not going to let it go by the wayside. Now, I said this morning that our, our sermon is, is looking at the importance of one. And we're going to take a look at John chapter 1, verses 45, 46, and 49. We're going to skip around a little bit. But in, in John chapter 1, verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. In verse 46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. They have a conversation through 47 and 8. Jesus speaks with, with him, uh, with, uh, with Nathaniel, and then we come down to, to verse 49, and it says, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, 
You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He has this moment, and like, like in one of the stories I told, when somebody came to him and said, we found the one, he is the Messiah, this Jesus from Nazareth, he scoffs. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And it's, it, Nazareth was, a, was kind of a backwater, working-class place that not a lot of educated people were known to come out of, and so some people would scoff, much the way you and I would scoff, could anything good come out of Louisville? If you're from Louisville, I'm so sorry, and I'm just kidding. But could anything good come from Louisville? Maybe, probably. But it, some people would scoff in that way. It was a cultural thing for them. And so he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he has this real moment with Jesus, where Jesus said, I saw you as you were sitting under that fig tree. And it's just enough, and it was just the way he needed to hear it for Nathaniel to come to know Christ. It's a real moment he has with Jesus. Real moments produce real conversions. And the problem in our culture today, in our American culture, and we'll, we'll get into this a little more here in a little bit, but the, the, one of the big problems is that no one, there aren't a lot of real moments going around right now. There's a lot of fake moments and there's a lot of real uh, moments created for the sake of being filmed and put on social media, but a real intimate moment where somebody gets to know the real Jesus, not the Jesus projected by our culture, not even the one we sometimes as Christians pre present as this, as, as, as this Jesus that's easy to take and easy to, 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 to ride with in his message, because sometimes it's not easy, but a real encounter with who he really is and what he really wants to do for you produces real conversions, um, someone's real choice to follow Jesus. You and I are never going to produce a conversion in, in an unbeliever and somebody who, who doesn't know Christ. Ours is to share the message. God produces the conversion, and the Holy Spirit enters that person at the moment of conversion and begins convicting. Um, so real moments are in short supply in our culture. So a real moment where they hear your story, they hear Jesus' story, and then we bring it back around to how it can become their story, those are impactful. Those are, those are amazing moments. I want every believer, especially every believer in our church, but it's my prayer that every believer gets to have that moment where they are responsible for someone's real moment with Jesus. And maybe, just maybe in that real moment, they come to know him as their savior. We're going to pop over to, to Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, and you should, we're going to go to Matthew 13, and we're going to look at, at, at a, a fairly short parable, but a parable nonetheless. So I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 45, it's the parable of the, of the pearl of great price. And in 45, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus speaking, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. It's a really short parable, but the, the cultural significance for, for when Jesus was telling the story is that at the time, the pearl was the most precious and priceless, valuable commodity that one could find. At a time where there wasn't anything such as scuba gear, and at a time where we, science hadn't really taught us how the, the cycles of the ocean works and how all that goes, finding a pearl was difficult, it was dangerous, and that's what made a pearl so valuable. And so he talks about the, this, this merchant finds this pearl and knows that if he can get it for, for everything he has, that this priceless item is worth more. And it's this picture of, of the gospel and salvation, that when we present this, this real moment with someone of Jesus, when, when we present Jesus in this real moment for someone, 
they'll finally see him as this pearl of great price, as this, as this one thing that's more valuable than everything else they've placed value in for their entire lives. We place value in a lot of things and, in a, and put it in a lot of places where it doesn't necessarily need to go. And so he's talking about once we see Jesus for who he really is, we see that this, this gift he offers us and who he is, and we should desire him as much as we desire the gift, is priceless beyond compare compared to all the things that we chase after sometimes. That's why it's so important for us as individuals to be ready to share this story, to be ready to, to, to share this moment, to have this time with somebody. Because once they see Jesus who, for who he really is, and maybe some of us as Christians need to see him for who he really is, we'll find out that all the things we've been chasing after are worthless by comparison. Absolutely worthless. I'm not saying th- there are things that, are, that aren't important. There are things that we shouldn't, we shouldn't strive for. There are things that, that, but if there is anything in life that has placed itself in front of Jesus and his gospel, we've let it become an idol, and it's got to go because nothing else can save the people around us. Nothing else can help them fulfill their purpose in God as what they were created to be but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all we can go for. That's all we can do. Um, as we keep going, um, so we're going to look at a few points that kind of come out of what we've looked at. And the first one, um, um, first one we look at is commit to being an intentional witness. Intentional is the word of the day. It has been a buzzword in church for a little while, but I, I don't see it going away anytime soon because it's such a good word. Because we sometimes just passively live our faith out. But what we've got to get a hold of is the idea that we have to intentionally live our faith. We have to intentionally pray for the person that we're, we're trying to share with. We have to intentionally put ourselves in a position to have that conversation with them. Unfiltered, uh, unmarred by anything else that's going to come along. We have to be intentional about how we do this. This is going to require intentionality. It will not just happen. It will require accountability for you to stick to your commitment. That's one reason we've asked all our, all our life group leaders and Sunday school teachers here at Graceway to come alongside of us during this, during this Who's Your One movement. I can't wait when we're, when we're meeting again. Um, but we're, we're asking them to, to be a point of accountability for everybody. That in your time of small group and in your time of, of Sunday school, that we would just carve out a few minutes to talk about who everybody's one is and how they're doing in sharing their faith and how we can be praying for them as they're trying to, to work their way to that conversation with their one. Um, accountability is necessary. We, we've got to have it because left to our own, we're going to let fear put a stop to what we're doing sometimes. But that accountability is, is, is there and available. It's, why we, it's one of the reasons the church is the church. It's so we can be accountable to one another for what we're supposed to be doing. Um, you also need maturity as a disciple make in order to persevere in the mission and point others to the life-transforming hope of the gospel. Those who accept Christ's identity will also embrace this important mission, sharing Jesus with others. Intentional is the word. And if, you, if you're taking notes, I'd write down the word intentional and I'd underline it three times. Intentional about what we're doing. Intentional in our witness. Attention, intentional, not just in the moments when people are watching, but especially in the moments where we think nobody is. Because integrity is necessary to being able to share the gospel without, without a pall over it. Um, the second thing, point number two this morning. Go and tell. It, it's, it sounds really simple. If, if point number one, commit to being intentional, that's our mindset. Go and tell is our practical application of our mindset. And this time 
of great fear and misinformation that we're living in. There's a lot of fear surrounding the, the coronavirus epidemic. There's a lot of fear surrounding what the future holds and, and what things are going to be like in the coming weeks. There has never been a greater time or a greater need for the absolute saving truth of the gospel. This is where the church is able to step up and be the church, not committing to a spirit of fear because we're not given a spirit of fear. And I want to encourage you in what you say, in what you do, and especially over the next few weeks, in what we post, what we communicate, what we put out into the world. If it contributes to a spirit of fear, it has no business being being communicated by God's church. I hope we catch that. I hope we take that to heart. That harboring a spirit of fear, contributing to a spirit of fear that's, that's going through our country, that is not the mandate of the Christ follower. That is not the mandate of the Christian. So it is not something you and I should be participating in. What should we be doing? We need to be an encourager at every opportunity. We need to be a helper In the name of Jesus, we need to be a helper, especially in the coming times. There are going to be a lot of opportunities to help. I love what Mr. Rogers said. uh, Mr. Rogers always talked about uh, when when there was something scary on TV, his mom would always tell him, look for the helpers. The world should see the church stepping up and helping. And we shouldn't be doing it so they'll see. We should be doing it in Jesus' name to help the people who need it. But the world should, when they look our direction, should see the church stepping up and stepping out to be encouraging and helping in a time when fear is running rampant and misinformation is grabbing hold of people left and right. Ours is a mandate and a call to the truth and love. Misinformation is the opposite of truth and contributing to anything fearful is the opposite of love. So with what you say, what you do, how we interact in the next few weeks and beyond, we need to think about our witness and how we intentionally move people in Jesus' direction rather than contributing to, to, the, to the complainy, fearful society and culture that's being created through social media. Social media's got plenty of complainers. It's got plenty of people who are there to contribute to fear, and it's got plenty of people there to troll and bring other people down. It doesn't need anybody who carries the name of Jesus as part of who they are contributing to it. The world's going to do it enough. Let's go the opposite direction. And so we come to a, a few other things. So that's, that's, that's kind of number one in our practical application. Um, and so as we look at the next few, obviously these are going to be ideas for once, once we're past all this and once we're able to, to group up together again. Uh, some of these work in small group settings and are fine, but these are some, some challenges we have for the church. The first one was to, to be an encourager, be a helper in this time of, uh, of scary uncertainty. The second one, each disciple, each Christ follower, each church member to invite one unchurched, possibly unsaved. We can't know the difference. We can't always know if someone's saved or unsaved, but we can, we can find out through getting to know them whether they're churched or unchurched. Invite them to breakfast, lunch, or dinner this year sometime Share your testimony and tell them the gospel story. And you can be intentional. You can tell them ahead of time. I, I, I've, been, I, I've, I've been going through this program with church, this campaign to share our faith. I was wondering if I could, I could invite you out for a meal and maybe tell you my story. And that's a real and vulnerable place to be in. And that's why a lot of us have not done it. Because it's scary. Because that person might say no. And that's okay. 
If they say no, don't kidnap them and drag them to lunch. That's not a good thing. We're not going to do that. But if they say yes, this is an opportunity. And you can tell them ahead of time, I, I want to sit down with you and, and maybe share my story. Can I, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you breakfast? Can I buy you dinner? And we sit down and talk about it. Go for coffee. Whatever. That's the, that is the second challenge I'm issuing to the church. Sometime in the next year, invite someone who God's called you to be your one, the one you're praying for, the one you're, you, you're, you're trying to see come to know Jesus. Invite them out for a meal and tell them the gospel story. Another one, invite, uh, another challenge for us. Invite one family in your neighborhood to your home. How many of us have gotten to know our neighbors? I'm terrible at it. I'm so bad. This is something I, I've got to get out. And God's really, as I prepared for this message, has convicted my heart about getting to know my neighbors. Some of them, I, I know people who know my neighbors, so I've got an easy end to go, go speak to them. Some of us, it's a little scarier. We may have never knocked on our neighbor's door before because in the age of social media, nobody goes to anybody's house anymore. If there's a knock on the door 10 years ago, we'd think, oh, who's there? If there's a knock on the door today, you're immediately like, I didn't invite anybody over. Nobody's coming. Who is this? And we, we immediately get defensive about it. Um, we've got to be intentional about it. Go get, go get to know an, a family in your neighborhood, a family within your community. Maybe it's somebody you work with, whichever, but chew, invite them to your home for a meal, for, for uh, just a game night, something. But while they're there, invite one of your family members Choose one of your family members to share their story about coming to Christ. And I know, again, this is a vulnerable social situation. But this is where we're asked to step out in boldness to share our faith. And yes, you, you may invite somebody in and you may have somebody start to share their story. And it might get a little uncomfortable for a moment because we're not used to real situations in our current culture. But when the gospel starts being shared... And the truth of who Jesus is starts being communicated. It'll wipe away all that, all the, all the social norms that we hold up so high. They go by the wayside when somebody starts hearing the truth of the gospel, I promise. It just takes our obedience and our boldness to start talking. And the, and the fourth thing, invite one unchurched, possibly unsaved person to attend church with you sometime in the next year. Right now, it's a little difficult. Actually, right now, it may be easier. Hey, why don't you tune into this, to this, uh, to this video uh, with me uh, this Sunday morning? Uh, that's, that's less of a commitment than will you come with me to church. But invite one person to attend church with you. Like we said, we hope we're back next week to normal. We don't know what the future holds in the next few weeks for, for how this is going to go. But in the next few weeks, maybe you're inviting them over to your home to watch the service together and discuss it. But beyond that... We're looking to invite someone, and I'm not talking about a friend of yours that maybe goes to church somewhere else. We're not pulling from other churches. We're inviting unchurched people, people who currently don't have a church home, to come in and hear the gospel, to see what church is about. We've got a great church here. We've got people that care for each other. We've got people that are welcoming and loving. we got coffee and cookies. we got everything. <laughs> We've got all the modern amenities we need. They're not going to be uncomfortable here. They're going to come in and they're going to see what Christ followers who gather together as family and worship is like. And we should never be afraid for them to see that because that's how a lot of people come to know Jesus. This is the interactive part where I would ask the question of everybody here, but you answer it for yourself. If you want to type it in so everybody sees, that's fine. How many of you out there came to church for the first time, came to Jesus when you got saved at the invitation of someone you knew? Research tells us that somewhere near 90% of people come to know Jesus or come to find their church home by a personal invitation. 
It also tells us that 90% of Christians will never share the gospel. And somewhere around 75 to 80% of Christians will never invite another person, an unchurched person, to church with them. Think about how those numbers could grow. If 90% of people come to church at personal invitation, but almost 90 of us aren't inviting, what if 90% of, 90 of us were inviting? How many more people would we see come to know Jesus, to join our church, to add their talent and their, and their God-given calling and their spiritual giftedness to our congregation so that not that we would just grow in numbers, but that we would have an influence on our city. We could change the lives of people around us and this church would be even more healthy and more vibrant the way that God's church should be. That's our prayer, and that's what I'm encouraging everybody in. How much more do you want to see your church grow in faith and, and in our witness and in what we're doing? So there's the challenge. Each one, bring one. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It's powerful. Each one, bring one. Invite someone out to a meal and share your story. Invite someone into your home and have someone in your family share, the, share how they came to know Jesus. Invite someone who's not going to church anywhere else, who may not be saved, to come to your church. And in this time of fear and uncertainty, be an encouragement and a help. Those are our four challenges we're looking at this morning. And then the, the, third, the third point this morning, we need to recognize and repent of the excuses we've used for so long for why we don't share our faith. We need to recognize what they are. And once we've recognized them, we've got to repent. And this list hurt when I was preparing for this sermon. I'm guilty of as many of these as as many of you are, are out there. But we're going to take a look at 10 excuses, ten of the, the, probably the top 10 excuses we use when not sharing our faith. And I, I promise it's not another 10-point message. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. You'll recognize which ones you've got an issue with, and that's what I want you to do. Take a look at which of these, and if you're taking notes at home, write down which ones you specifically might have an issue with. And then we can talk about ways practically we get around these excuses. We repent of them, we move past them, and we get to sharing our faith. Number one, spiritual lethargy. This takes place when we fail to obey. A lack of growth inevitably leads to a diminished desire to share Christ with others. It's the principle of boredom begets boredom, but in a spiritual sense. If I sit at work all day and we're kind of dead and nothing happens, I go home even more tired than if we'd been busy. It's the same, same principle. If you, if you never exercise your faith, and we think of faith as a muscle, if we never exercise it, that muscle gets flabby and weak, and it has less energy to use later. As we exercise our faith, and as we, as we work it out and we use it, it becomes stronger and easier to use, and we, be, we get less lethargic about it. Number two, growing inclusiveness. The quote-unquote all religions lead to God is a prevailing opinion. Sometimes this view affirms Jesus is not the only way to salvation, but he can be found in other good religions. It's a subtle belief that somehow good followers will make it to heaven outside of, the true, outside of true Christian conversion. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. The spiritually dead to be spiritually alive— 
And this, this, uh, this hanging on to, to being good is nowhere in our Bible. We know that the only thing that will cover sins is the blood of Christ, and the only way to heaven is through him. But we've, in our American culture, there's this very vague spirituality that some people will say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And it's faith in faith. Uh, I, I've heard it in countless movies and, and TV shows saying it doesn't matter what you have faith in, it's just that you have faith. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I can put my faith in anything. I can put my faith in the TV stand. It doesn't do me any good. It's where we place our faith that's important, and only in Jesus do we find our purpose, our fulfillment, our salvation, and the reason we were created. It's only through him. Third thing, disbelief in hell. This undermines the urgency, and urgency is a big word when we're talking about the gospel, of placing one's faith in Christ alone. One must escape the wrath of God, and Jesus is the only refuge. Hell, we don't like to talk about it in church. Um, I know we don't like to hear about it a lot. Buckle up for next week's message, because we're going to be talking about it. Um, but to not believe in it, or to, to pretend it's not there, like we like to do. Like we pretend the elephant's not in the room. Hell is another elephant in the room that we don't like to talk about. But understanding that it's real... And understanding that anyone who dies without Christ is headed there creates the urgency that the gospel needs. The urgency that we need in order to share our faith because we need to care that people are dying and heading for hell. Urgency is huge. Disbelief in hell just completely wipes out our urgency. Number four, busyness. I think we're probably all all on board with with this one as being something that holds us back. The unchurched need to need us to tell them about Jesus. This needs to be on our to-do list, quite frankly. It needs to be the top of the to-do list. What priority do you do you give to reaching the lost? The world is being forced to slow down right now because of everything that's going on and that is not a bad thing. This is a great opportunity for churches and believers to fill this void that there's no sports right now, you guys. That's huge. So there's a void being left in a lot of pla- in a lot of people's lives and 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 in what their their normal day to day is. How beautiful would it be to fill that void with the gospel? That it took ESPN not being able to show current sports for someone to hear hear the name of Jesus. I guarantee, when we come out the other side of this, that is going to be the story for some people. That it took God shutting off the sports and all the other things that that I was paying attention to instead of him for me to finally hear the life-giving message of the gospel. I guarantee that's what's going to happen. God's going to redeem this situation for his good, but he's going to use you and me to do it. And that's why we've got to be willing. So busyness, we've got to make this this the top of our to-do list. Fear of rejection, number five. Nobody likes to be rejected. Research shows that only one in four unchurched persons will be resistant to faith discussions. 75% of people are open to talking about your faith in a way that it might become their faith. 75%. The few with an antagonistic attitude are not rejecting you personally. Their anger is merely a reflection of something probably in their past, probably in the way they think about things, probably in a, maybe in a way they've been hurt by a church or felt they've been hurt by God. That doesn't mean we don't share. If only 25% of people aren't willing to hear, 75% are willing to hear it, that just means that there's a giant majority of us who aren't willing to tell it. 
and to share and to, to have that conversation. And yes, if we're sharing and we're telling people, that means 25% of the time that person is going to reject what we have to say. Welcome to Persecution University, as Greg Steer from Dare to Share used to call it. Sometimes we're, they're going to reject the message we're sharing. They're not rejecting you personally. But even if they were, even if they made it personal, if we're not supposed to count our lives as dear unto ourselves, but instead the gospel, if that's the attitude that we're supposed to have out of Acts 20.24, then what does it matter if they're rejecting you personally? If we're trying to save their literal soul from a literal hell, a little bit of rejection is a small price to pay. If, like we said before, you're just one link in the chain of people who are sharing the gospel along their path to finally hearing it. We've got we've to get rid of this, uh, this fear, of re- uh, fear of rejection. We've not been given an attitude or a spirit of fear. So we can't fear that either. Number six, a desire to be tolerant. Tolerant is a word that, that goes around. The gospel is, in some sense, intolerant. The one true God insists that there can be no other gods. He is a jealous God. The Christian message speaks of a, a narrow way and no other name under heaven. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The world would look at that message and call it intolerant. And in a sense and of how they define it, it is. In the same way that my lungs are intolerant of anything but oxygen. Catch that. Your lungs are intolerant of water so that you can live. We are intolerant of any other way being taught that we can get to heaven because all those roads lead to destruction. So yes, in some sense, the gospel is intolerant. It's intolerant of the things that lead to death and an eternity without Jesus, an eternity without God, and an eternity in hell. I'd rather be intolerant of hell than, than fear being called intolerant of other people's faiths. I just would. Um, number seven, losing the habit of witnessing. For many reasons, you may have quit witnessing. Witnessing is a discipline. It can be regained. This is where I'm at, and this is the one that hit me so hard. I used to be in such a habit of making sure the people around me had heard the gospel. I'd slip it into conversation. I'd have meaningful moments with the people around me. I'd, I'd, I'd be serious about it. I've lost my seriousness for it. It was a habit, and it wasn't just a habit. It was an intentional thing that I did. And I, somewhere along the way, I, I've let myself lose it, and that's what God's really convicted me of this. And maybe some of you are the same way, that we've had a habit and we've, had, we've been intentional about our witness and how we do things, but it's just gone by the wayside because life got in the way, business has happened, fear of rejection got a hold of us. We didn't want to sound intolerant. Um, somewhere along the way, the idea of hell just didn't sound fair to us. Whatever it is, it's never too late to get back into the habit. It's never too late to regain our spirit of that. Number eight, a lack of accountability. When you have someone holding you accountable, it can increase your zeal for witnessing. That is why, as a church body, we're called to keep each other accountable. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the sermon. That's why here we've asked all of our life group leaders and our Sunday school teachers to be a point of accountability for the people in their groups so that we can be accountable to one another for how we do this. We've also got another accountability thing coming up for when we're, when we're back together. There's a, there's a beautiful display going up uh, that's gone up in our lobby, um, a, a glass case that we're going we're gonna to represent our conversations with people about the gospel in ping pong balls. 
We're going to put a visual representation of accountability up on the wall as something to keep us accountable, but also something we can celebrate together as we see that thing fill up. And I can't wait. I can't wait till we're doing that together. Um, and it, we'll explain how that works later, but it's going to it, one color ping pong ball for a gospel conversation, another color ping pong ball for if they accept Christ, another color if they, they get baptized, another color if they become a member of our church. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, number nine, failure to invite. When was the last time you invited an unchurched person to church? Make sure we catch that, that distinction, an unchurched person, someone who doesn't go to church somewhere else. Have you offered to take someone to church or, or to meet them? It's such a simple gesture that can have significant outcome. They may say no. They may say we're busy. They may say we'd like to, but it's not going to work this way. Keep with it. If we've lost our habit of witnessing, we've probably also lost our, 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 our need to, our desire to, to invite somebody who doesn't have a church home to our church. We've got to stick with that. We've got to get back in the habit of doing that as well. We've got to invite people. Um, and then number 10, the last one, the church just not being intent on reaching the lost. And we come back to the word intent, our intentionality. It is said that it takes 85 church members to reach one unsaved person. What a terrible ratio that is. It takes 85 church members to reach one person. Truthfully, it should take one church member to reach one person. But because out of uh, 85% of us aren't in, in, in a group of 85 people, one person sharing, so it takes a church of 85 to reach one person. We're a little more than 85 here at Graceway. And if we continue the way we're going, that it's just going to take all of us to reach one person, then that helps us to understand why the church in America is in decline. If it takes 85 of us to reach one, the gospel and God's word is pretty clear on how many of us it should take to reach one. And the, and the usual number should be one. Now, there are always going to be the outlying situations. Like we said, it, 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 you may be one person in the chain. But seven is still better than 85. If we all took up the call to share our faith, if we all took up our part of the responsibility in the gospel, if each one would reach one, we would see that number go down. And we would see the number of people saved go up and we would see our communities and our cities change and start moving in Jesus' direction. That's our prayer and that's our hope. And that is the point of this Hoosier One series is to get us in motion, to get us practically doing some things differently, to change our heart, to be a heart for the lost and our desire to be a desire to share, to share Jesus' story and our story of how we found him. I want to ask three questions just in closing this morning. Number one, will you be intentional? Will you take up that idea that we need to stop being passive in our faith, hoping that it's just going to, it's going to pass on to somebody by osmosis? That's not how it's going to work. It's not how we're called to do it, and it's not going to happen that way. So will you be intentional? Will you be accountable? Will you show up at the times that, that our church has set up for you to be in, a, in an accountable, uh, accountable moment? And I encourage anybody that's not part of group life, group life here at Graceway, whether it's a life group, Sunday school class, small group that, that meets, discipleship group, get involved. Because that accountability is not just important for your witness, but it's important for your faith.
that we keep working our faith out like this muscle that it is so that it gets stronger so that we can keep exercising it for a world that needs it. So will you be intentional? Will you be accountable? And last, will you be a mature disciple maker? Somebody who seeks to make a disciple after yourself because that is not just the charge of the church staff and all the guys called to preach and all the people who lead Sunday school classes and small groups. It is the job of every Christ follower and Christ believer, everyone who would name themselves as a Christian. It is all of our jobs to be making disciples. That takes many forms. It looks different for everybody. We take our, we take our example from Jesus, but for different personalities, different schedules, the way we do things, how life works around us, it can take on so many forms. And we can, we can tailor it to however it needs to be tailored as long as the message stays the same. Will you be an inten- intentional, accountable disciple maker that the world needs? I'm gonna pray for us real quick and then uh, I'd like to pray to, to end this lesson this morning and then Pastor Derek's gonna come, up, come back up for the, for the end of our service. But would you, would you pray with me right from where you're at? Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for this opportunity we've had to look into your word, for the, for the time we've had to, to self-examine where we're at in sharing your story and sharing the gospel and going forward. God, I pray you would strengthen everybody listening to this in their witness and in their walk to help us move in an intentional direction, to help us seek out the accountability we need to become disciple makers in your name. God, I pray for our church as we, as we move forward in this. I pray that we would just come to, to see your power evident in every single one of us as your gospel goes forth and it begins changing the lives of the community around us, that people would come to know you through the efforts we're making. God, I pray that you would change us in whatever way we need to be changed, move our hearts in your direction to be burdened for the lost and to be convicted of our need to to share your story, to share the story of how you changed us so that it can become somebody else's story. We thank you. We love you. And in this time of fear and uncertainty, we are leaning on you with everything we have. Be our strength, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.